Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Dan Woods of Early Adopter Research, and today we're going to be talking with Frank Bien and Nick Caldwell of Looker. I've been following Looker for quite a while, and I recently um, found out that Nick joined as Chief Product Officer, and I thought it was a good time, given what I've been doing, uh, examining how Looker's been used in new ways, to, to take a look at where the company has come from and where it's going. Uh, in my view, Looker's really made a powerful impact on the BI scene by creating uh, a way to create deep and wide canonical data models. Now, my view of the history of BI is that you know, the, the data warehouse really provided a lot of value uh, uh, when it did, when it worked right, by creating a common language by, through creating a common data model. Now, the, the problem wasn't that this data model wasn't useful and didn't create a common language. The problem was that it was so hard to keep that data model up to date, to change it. And part of that is, of course, you know, it's hard to document and you know, change you know, different kind of concepts uh, and have everybody keep up. But the other part is that the mechanisms of you know, doing the modeling uh, weren't created to be agile. Now, that's why I was very excited when I first understood what Looker was doing. They have created a language called LookML that is created to create deep and wide data models to allow a company to create a, a common language that can encompass all of the interesting data and also include variations because in, in every type of uh, business intelligence situation, you almost always have multiple concepts for customer, multiple concepts for product. And you, you need to know, you know, are we talking about the marketing customer? Are we talking about the finance customer? And these are different concepts and used for different purposes. Now, what LookML is, is it's, it's a modeling language. It's, it's built to be like a computer language and to be just as productive. And so um, what Looker has done with its product is it's surrounded that ability to model data, both with ways of getting data in and with ways of using that data and presenting it to users so they can access the data and explore it in a self-service manner or deliver it to applications. And of course, Looker has a lot of the other things you expect, such as you know, different modules that are easy to, to use for specific purposes and a variety of integrations with all of the, the kind of uh, related technology. Um, I recently was on a CTO club list that I'm on and I noticed that everybody uh, posted, what are you using for BI? And about uh, uh, 10 or 15 people said, oh, I'm using Looker with Redshift. Oh, I'm using Looker with Snowflake. And it was really interesting because it seems like Looker has really become popular in the cloud data warehouse space. And so what excites me most you know, is that the way that all these new paradigms now for accessing data are also being connected to Looker. I wrote, recently wrote an article about the company Dremio which allows you to access lots of different data, both structured and unstructured, and then present it through SQL. And because Looker lives on SQL, it can now then use that linkage with Dremio to access a much wider repository. Because one of the things in the past is that Looker was limited to data that was in SQL repositories, and sometimes even in a single SQL repository. So in any event, what I'd like to do today is talk to Frank and Nick about where Looker came from and where it's going. And so we, the, 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 in order to understand really Looker the, you know, properly, what you have to do is understand what I call the core dogmas of, the, of the, uh, the technology. And these are the basic assumptions. And Frank has had a, a, a good way of crystallizing these things 
uh, in an analysis that he, uh, he calls third generation business intelligence. So first of all, I'd like to have both of you introduce yourselves and explain what your roles are at Looker. And then Frank, I'd like you to talk a little bit to us about the third generation BI. So Nick, what, 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 what is your role and what do you do at Looker? Yeah. First of all, thanks for that phenomenal intro to our product. I think you, you stole a lot of the thunder I was going to try and bring to the interview, but it was a great overview. Uh, I just started as uh, chief product officer uh, about uh, a month ago. Um, you know, I, I think with that title comes responsibility for charting out uh, our strategic uh, roadmap and then, and then building uh, an organization that can execute on it effectively. And I, I've been working on that over the past uh, few weeks. Um, prior to that, I was VP of engineering at Reddit. Uh, cool thing there was I got to build their data practice from the ground up. It was a, it was a real learning experience for me. Uh, and then prior to that, I was um, general manager uh, at Microsoft running the Power BI uh, organization. I was one of the founding members uh, of that team and, and helped them grow uh, pretty much all of, the, all of the products in that family. Uh, so that's me. I see. So you've got a really good 360 view of the BI space, both as a yeah. user and as a vendor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, being at Microsoft, I, I had a very kind of, uh, I, I, I would say, um, inward looking opinion about the BI market. It, it, you know, in that, in that space, uh, the answer to many of the uh, questions we would get from customers was, of course, buy more Microsoft ecosystem products. Uh, I think when I, when I left Microsoft and went to Reddit and was responsible for building from the ground up that BI practice, I got exposed to a, a lot of the different uh, technologies that, that you just mentioned, the, the Snowflakes, the BigQueries, the Dremios, uh, and it really kind of changed my perspective uh, on BI uh, dramatically. I, I think um, what you're seeing in the marketplace right now is really, really rapid advancement uh, at the data layer. Uh, and uh, that data layer and analytics, all, all that stuff is becoming incredibly powerful. And one exciting thing about uh, Looker to me, and, and you hinted at this earlier, is Looker is really, really well positioned to take advantage of that change. Uh, it is ecosystem agnostic. It's flexible. The LookML modeling layer that you just described does a phenomenal job of uh, not just creating a governed data model like you, like you described, we also work really, really hard to make sure that the resulting queries are, are performant. Uh, and you don't really see a lot of uh, other vendors uh, well, investing. That you know, and that, and yeah, and, and, and uh, I remember seeing a presentation on, uh, 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 what was it, systematic ag aggregates or sy symmetric aggregates, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and how difficult that was to represent in SQL. And, yeah. uh, you know, now, Frank, a lot of the stuff that Nick just mentioned is really a result of, uh, of the, the third generation BI analysis. Why don't you introduce yourself and explain that analysis? Sure. So, again, my name is Frank Bien, and I'm the CEO of Looker. I've been around about, I don't know, five and a half years. You know, Looker's probably almost six and a half or seven years old. Uh, so, been around a while in, in Looker years. Um, I, I came at this problem from the big database world. So I was at a company way back when called Greenplum, which was one of the first big MPT databases. And it, it had played in other big database worlds before that. And when I met Lloyd Tab, who was the founder of Looker, and saw what he built and saw this, this modeling language, which is really where the core IP started from, I said, boy, this is it. This is the thing that can unlock the value 
out of these big fast databases. And, and I think, you know, when you think about unlocking the value, that to me is then what you do with it, right? I mean, I think that's, that's what we've seen that's been really interesting, you know, over the last few years, you know, as we've seen the, the customers grow from the, the early e-commerce companies like, you know, Deliveroo and BuzzFeed and stuff like that into the bigger companies like Amazon and Cigna and Verizon and stuff like that from a customer perspective. So anyway, why, why, you know, why have we seen the success and why is this interesting? I think you're hitting it, you know, this idea of, of the third wave, um, you know, you know, BI and analytics companies started, you know, way back, you know, 35 years ago with companies like Cognos and business objects. And those were awesome you know, monolithic platforms that allowed us to, you know, collect data and present it in the form of reports to users at a time when databases were really, really expensive. You know, you had to be really careful about what kind of load you put on your databases. So you use these business intelligence tools and, and they were a full platform where you could suck data out of the database and, and put it in a cube or a cache and then you could run analytics on top of it. And you were really careful as you move that data around because data has weight and, and systems were slow and slow and networks were slow back then. Um, and then what happened was, you know, those, those systems, you know, started to be a little onerous and, and um, although they were very accurate when I wanted to close the quarter or even you know, do really formal data things, I wasn't really empowering the masses to, to operate in data. So we saw the second wave and the second wave was the proliferation of what I'll call self-service point solutions. So, so we would have tools to do visualization and we would have tools to do data wrangling and data cataloging. And we really pieced apart those first stacks and we put those components in the hands of end users. And as long as they had their data and they could put it in, in their, these kinds of systems and kind of understood the information, they could get a lot of value out of it. And that really helped people become a bit more, a bit more data driven. But I would argue what happened out of that second wave was, you know, a lot of pieces of, of, of a solution. And we really ended up in a bit of a mess where when you went into an organization, I think, I think Dan, you, coined a long time ago this idea of data brawls you know you would you would go into a company and you would talk to three or four departments that were all using data and they would be describing the same data metrics differently like the answer was different what's lifetime value of a customer one person would say you know 14,000 and the other would say 52,000 and you realize they were they were calculating the business logic completely differently um, and, and that was a problem and I think what I saw with the early, you know, databases was, you know, we were moving out of a formal data warehousing world into a world where, you know, really any size company could collect and store all of the business data that they had in their organization in a much more efficient, effective way. And that came with these big cloud databases and with Hadoop and the big, you know, all of the big data craze that was happening. And I think what we've seen in the last couple of years is, is really large organizations be able to collect and store vast amounts of information, but they didn't have tools to put on top that were different. The tools were still operating in these point solution ways. Right, and, 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 just, and just, just to, to, to let, me, let me just stop there because I want to summarize, I think, what you've said so far. So, Frank, what you just said was, is really interesting to me because, you know, it, it represents wave one, which was the wave of the data warehouse and the way that that was being used. Wave two was the era where you moved into the special purpose tools for, for different, you know, parts of the, the, the data supply chain where you had, you know, things for data discovery like Click or Tableau, where you had things for 
data wrangling or, or, or variety of ETL processes. And, you know, it was possible to do a lot of interesting things. And then that led us up to the door of, you know, the big data uh, um, world um, uh, and where you would be able to do a lot of this stuff, not only on data warehouses, but on larger data sets as well. And then that set the, those are the first two waves and that set the stage for the third wave. And, and, and what are the characteristics and enablers of the third wave? Yes, so the third wave is about, you know, really, you know, basically inexpensive, much easier to deploy data infrastructure. So now I can collect and store petabytes of structured information really, really easily. I think it was first with the Hadoop structures and, and those we still see around a lot. But then what really blew the doors off was, was this cloud database push. So first it was Amazon Redshift and, and Snowflake and Google BigQuery and, and, you know, what's going on at Microsoft. But we really started to see the ability for companies to, you know, not in a formal way, like in the old data warehousing world where it was slow, you know, you could really start to, you know, mirror all of your salesforce.com tables and the stuff coming out of your marketing automation like Marketo and your support systems like Zendesk and all of your internal systems. And you could land it all in these, these big fast databases. But the nuance was, is that to really get the value out of it, you know, these systems needed a different tool to go on top. And these systems, you know, what I had seen early at, at places like Greenplum was that they oriented towards, you know, what you would call transformation at query. So you could leave the data in a, basically in a mess in the data lake, if you want to call it a data lake. And then right before you wanted to get value out of it, you could, you could, you know, virtually make sense of it and you could create the data model on the fly and you could, you could transform that data really late in the process. And that was a much more agile way because all of the, the first and second wave was about heavily manipulating data like plumbing and the supply chain was really, really difficult. But the promise of big data was this much more agile world. And what Looker is, is the platform to go on top of these big, fast databases and make sense of it, be very agile, you know, do that late binding transformation, really, really make sense of it later in the process. And, and what we saw was that that started to solve two key problems. That started to solve the, the issue of reliability. Now people could actually rely on the information because it was a single source of truth because we had this big data model that went not on a silo of data and had a whole bunch of different data models, but one big cohesive you know, way to describe the data as it sat in this data, this data lake. And then what we provided on top through all of our, you know, visualizations and, and our, our BI application was access. So people could start to actually get, get at the data. And what was interesting was that by solving those underlying problems of access and reliability, we now saw people using data in a much different way. So well, people before, started to use before, the oh, let, 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 Before we get there, that, that's, I, that's exactly where I want to go. But before we get there, let me just sum up what I think you just said and uh, use a couple of different concepts to, to explain it. First of all, I think that the way I would say exactly what you just said, but using a couple of different words is that in the run-up, you know, from the wave one, the data warehouse, and the wave two to this data discovery uh, uh, world, you did have the ability to do things, you know, a query on, you know, schema on read or, or other things. But really, a lot of it was all about creating a purpose-built extract for a specific dashboard or a purpose-built ex extract for, uh, you know, a, 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 ver a variety of analysts, a, 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 an, an analytic. And so the... The thing is that that purpose-built um, 
extract really only had the scope of what you needed for that dashboard. It didn't really have the ambition or the ability to actually solve the problem and create a reusable model. And so you had these, you, it was very similar to what, what happened in the, the era of the data warehouse where you'd extract into spreadsheets and work there. What seems to me the difference in the Looker uh, uh, solution is that now you can create several different layers of, of model. You can create, you can land the data and create, you know, kind of like the landed data uh, in, in tables. You can, on top of that, create um, reusable objects of various types. And then on top of that, you can create, you know, purpose-built specific models, but all of those become reusable. All of those become, uh, you know, they're in place and, and they're not tightly linked to, to one dashboard. And so now all of a sudden, when you start entering the model, you can explore it. You can go wide, you can, you can, you can go deep. And you can go far deeper and far wider than you could in just that world of extracts. And so, of course, that's going to change how you use the data. And I think that's what you were getting to the next uh, uh, next point you were going to make. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that it's a nuance, but but when I'm operating in silos, every time I want to change, you know, the subject of what I'm asking a question about, I'm basically resurfacing and going over to a different world, right? And it becomes really problematic, and those worlds don't connect together very well. And you know, think of think about how you actually work when you do your job. You know, if if you're like a merchant at Walmart where you're responsible for a certain type of product, you know, first I want to understand supply chain information, and and in Looker, I'm I'm looking at that kind of information. But then really quickly, I want to start to see, you know, sales data about that. So then I'm just quickly evolving over and looking at sales data. And I'm kind of bouncing around like, like Google Earth, you know, where I can zoom in and zoom out and move over and zoom in on a different, on a different geography. And I can really do that when I have one large data model that's looking at lots and lots of information. And the whole world of BI, you know, in the first and second wave was built around silos. And, and the silos became just our thinking. Our, you know, that's the only way to deploy a data solution. But what happened with this advent of all these big fast databases is I didn't have to be locked into that thinking anymore. And, and that's really where Looker is unlocking a lot of value is in the ability to look at much larger, much broader sets of information and make use out of it in a really more meaningful way. What's been most surprising that you've heard back from your customers when they, uh, they, they started understanding this? Because you know, the way I've seen this work and in my work understanding and talking to Looker customers is that it's at first, you know, like every other technology, Looker is usually bought to solve one use case. And then it solves it. And then gradually, everybody gets the idea. And then that model gets big, slowly until somebody realizes, oh, my God, we've got this huge model. You know, what, 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 what kind of aha moments have you heard from customers in that journey? Yeah, you know, it, it's actually been fairly consistent and it's one of the biggest surprises, you know, that, that I had, you know, personally, you know, at Looker, you know, we were building data model stuff and we were building pretty technically deep stuff, language and all that kind of thing. And what happens in our customers almost universally is they eventually start coming back and talking about how Looker has changed their culture or has made them like these really kind of ideas like data driven or built data culture. And that's been surprising where, where although we're a fairly technical product, we start to solve these, these issues of access and reliability and get data into the hands of, 
just regular people in the business, you know, not, not the very sophisticated technologists. And universally, our customers come back and describe how we got them over the hump of, of actually creating this data culture where people could ask and answer any question and make better, more informed decisions about what they were doing in real time. Yeah, I've, I've always thought of uh, these technologies when they're successful is they lower the curiosity tax. You know, you, 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 you don't have to be, pay such a high tax to answer a question. And so your curiosity can be rewarded more often. Now, you've seen a lot of, you know, technology implemented and, and, and Looker, Looker obviously, you know, grows at some companies and I'm, I'm sure it stalls at some others. What mistakes do you see people are making right now in this landscape? Because we've never had an ability to have so much choice about different ways of you know, creating uh, what I call a data supply chain. Yeah, I, I think you know, what we see is a few things, but we'll, one is they're making the data supply chain too, too complex. Um, the, the, the promise of big data, you know, forget about Looker for a second, but the promise of big data and the promise of these cloud databases and things like that is we can approach the problem in a different way. And the companies that we see that are being successful are, are internally approaching it much in the same way that a Google or a Facebook or an Uber has been approaching these data problems internally for a long time, which has put a lot of data into things that are big and fast and cheap to ask questions of, and then open it up very broadly to people to do that. And what I still see is lots of companies who are, who are, you know, really still, you know, kind of, you know, messing with the plumbing a lot, really, you know, manipulating data very heavily and putting into the very formal schemas and things like that, that, that when you change the question, you really have to go back and engage plumbers to change everything around again. So they're, they're putting new tools uh, you know, or they're putting like wave two tools on top of these big fast databases and they're not seeing the value out of it. And I think, I think where we start to see the value unlocked is when we kind of take this broader approach where we're really providing access across the entire sets of data, the entire data lakes or whatever you want to call it, and, and really unlocking that value for everyone. I think pretty consistently we see sort of this old world, new world Frankenstacks being created that are far too complex. And, and what this promise of big data and big fast databases with the looker on top, you know, creates is a much simpler stack and a much more efficient supply chain. Well, and another uh, cultural thing that I think a lot of companies aren't really ready for and may never be ready for is the level of transparency and data access that are in place at places like Google or Netflix. In the recent article, uh, in the Wall Street Journal about Netflix culture, they talked about how almost everybody at the company can see almost all the data you know, uh, in, in Netflix. And it's very few other companies where that's true. Now, so obviously some of those companies are regulated and that would not be allowed, but, but even in those companies, there can be much more transparency. And I think that that's a cultural value that I think is really something that is uh, gonna be hard to change in many different places. Yeah, and that's the value that, that Looker started from. So, so I don't know if you know, but, but one of the founders of Looker, Mark Randolph, was the founder and CEO of Netflix. So he and Reed had started Netflix. And what Mark brought to Looker early was that idea that data should be affecting the culture. I mean, that was really where we were born from. Got it. Well, and then uh, uh, what I'd like to now move on to is, is a little bit more of Nick's bailiwick. So... What I've always really liked about Looker is LookML. Now, LookML is a real computer language in that it has, you know, uh, concepts in it that are equivalent to like object-oriented programming. You can 
you know, create a data object, you can subclass it, uh, you can reuse it, you store it as source code, it's stored in a, uh, you know, source code repository, you know, that, that has like version control. Um, and then, you know, it's possible, uh, uh, and I, I had a great time talking to the guys at War Warby Parker about this and writing about it, uh, about how they, you know, when they implemented Looker, they, they implemented it because their VLOOKUPs in Microsoft had stopped running in 24 hours, and so they couldn't get their, their data, and they would always crash. And so they needed some way to model their data. They went around and looked at all the spreadsheets and found all of the different concepts that were in, included them, you know, the, the different customer uh, definitions, the different ways of looking at the product. And then they, they coded all that up in LookML and then documented it in like, I think a wiki book uh, or, or something like that. And, and, and that became, you know, the foundation of their, their, uh, their company. Now, what's interesting now is that on top of that, you've put a whole visualization and exploration sort of system. On the bottom of that, you've put a whole SQL query generation system that then you know, allows you to get access to the data you know, quickly and responsively uh, as people navigate through it. And so now that you've had a little bit of time, Nick, uh, you know, uh, to look at the portfolio, you know, where do you see, you know, how would you describe the portfolio uh, uh, you know, in, in the same sort of layers that I've talked about? It? You know, what's on top of the model? what's the model like and what's on the bottom of the model. And then, you know, after you've explained that, we can talk a little bit about where you think we might be able to go with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you hit uh, a few of the, the points I would say, like Looker classically has been targeted at, you know, people writing LookML. That is kind of the most powerful uh, layer and everything is, is built on, on top of that. Um, Moving up uh, a layer, um, we're increasingly trying to invest in uh, data exploration, um, either ad hoc SQL queries or more of an ad hoc uh, visualization exploration. So being able to go into a dashboard, very lightweight touch, slice and dice uh, sort of experiences. Uh, but I think increasingly we, we see, you know, even higher, uh, more abstracted levels of, of use, you know, people who aren't necessarily familiar with the, uh, the data model, people who maybe not even using dashboards day to day, they're, they're just using data uh, in their day to day lives. Um, so uh, very recently we were starting to invest in what we call uh, Looker applications. And these are very, very purpose-built point solutions for, for people who, you know, in, in some cases may have no familiarity with, the, with the, the guts of the system, but they're just trying to get something done in their in their day-to-day -day job. Um, you know, this could be uh, experiences, you know, for people, uh, you know, uh, working um, in a factory who need to do an inventory lookup, or maybe your DevOps engineers who need to monitor real-time systems. Um, I think also increasingly we're seeing data uh, used inside other business productivity applications. One of our favorite examples here is uh, a Slack, a Slack bot that we have where, you know, sales folks can look up um, with just a, a quick Slack command uh, statistics on uh, sales for a, a particular customer. Um, so those are the, 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 the layers I think about, and I think each one is targeted at a particular type of persona. The lowest level, LookML folks, really familiar with the, the underlying data, pushing up a level, you know, people who want to explore and, and maybe slice and, size, slice and dice data, and at the very highest levels, and I, I think probably this constitutes the majority of, of, of users for the future, people are just trying to get uh, work done in their day-to-day, -day, taking data insights and, and transitioning to taking action uh, on those data insights. You know, this is very similar to a framework I came up with a year or so ago called the Productized Analytics Framework. 
you know, where at the top you have what we call, you know, the value meal, which is the most productized mm -hmm. form, you know, which is like going to McDonald's and just ordering something. Then underneath it, you have the, you know, the dinner in a box sort of where you can make choices. Like I want my skinny half calf, you know, almond milk latte. And then underneath that you have, uh, you know, the ability to uh, do a custom kitchen, you know, where you, you actually are, are creating, uh, you know, uh, like the look ML programming, you know, of mm -hmm. the whole thing. And um, so now, uh, now that you've arrived, you know, and so uh, you've also got uh, what goes on underneath look ML. And so what's interesting to me, the, the thing that always bothered me a bit about look at looker is that you had to, that the look ML could generate mm -hmm. SQL, but that SQL usually was linked to a certain database that had in it a range of tables. But I often thought, how can we get beyond that? How can we get to a federated query sort of model? And, and the, the, the problem is that the, the, the sophistication that what you use to generate that SQL, you know, and then, you know, was, was really high and you relied on a good engine to be able to execute that in the database. Now, it wasn't until I started studying how Dremio worked where I realized that now by going against a, a system like Dremio, which allows you to put SQL on top of a very wide range of, of, of repositories and then still be able to join across those repositories, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden the range of what you can model in LookML became vastly wider. Now, that's true to some extent. You know, when you look at how things work in Presto, where you can actually, you know, have data that is in uh, S3 objects, you know, of arbitrary format included in queries or in Snowflake, which does the same trick and, you know, also allows you to reach out to data that's stored in JSON and things like that. And so, um, you know, what do you see going on at that, you know, below the LookML uh, layer to allow the range of data that can be included in a Looker model to be in increased. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's funny you mentioned Dremio. They were at uh, our joint conference just a few weeks ago, and I got some time uh, with them and, and talked through their solution uh, for, for about 30, 40 minutes. That, that whole class of technology is pretty exciting to me. I think from a market perspective, um, people are increasingly you know, throwing data in, into lakes uh, additionally, they may be purchasing SaaS apps where um, behind those SaaS apps, data is sitting in S3 buckets or, or sitting in BigQuery. Um, and the idea that you could have a, uh, a single unified query layer that would sit on top of those underlying lakes and just query in one place, to me, is very powerful. Um, we have, uh, besides Dremio, we, we obviously are very interested in this. We have uh, internal teams looking uh, into, into technologies that would allow us to accomplish similar things. But I, I think the point of this all is um, it allows us to, to really, really simplify how we treat uh, the underlying data. We just let the data sit where it is, and then one level up, we're just clever about querying it. And then additionally, on top of that, one, one other thing I would call out is it allows you to uh, insert a uh, intelligent caching layer. So uh, it, you can also think about in the future, uh, you know, as we develop these technologies, that uh, the layers above LookML all get a little bit more intelligent and a little bit more performant uh, without necessarily you having to do, to do anything. Um, and that's what excites me about it. Like from a customer perspective, it's simpler. You just let your data sit where it is. Uh, and then from an end user perspective, uh, it's faster. 
You know, your, your experiences get, you know, your, your data is cached based on what you use and resulting in faster dashboards and faster exploration. So all of those things are, are pretty exciting to me. So you're going to essentially be able to support more value meals, meaning productized uh, um, uh, use of data. And that's going to obviously inform your embedded strategy because, you know, that's, that's what you want to embed. It's not necessarily a dashboard, but, you know, a way of, of using the data directly for a, a, a process step or a certain task. You're going to be able to have more caching underneath that. You're going to be able to have more access to different types of repositories that do magic tricks like Snowflake and Dremio and, and others do. Um, and, and, and that all sounds really good. Um, you know, what are the other, I mean, I, I know that you're, you know, new to, to the company, so you probably haven't, you know, settled on a, a strategy. And I know even if you did, you couldn't talk about all of it. But do you see any other priorities that are important that, you know, that, that, you know now that you've, you know, be, become uh, more intimate with the product that you, you really are excited about working on? Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I can kind of give you an overview for, for every of the, every one of those levels we just talked about. Um, at the LookML level, we, we briefly talked about, you know, uh, performance and, and, and the ability to query across multiple stores. I think that's important, but one other thing I would call out there is um, we're seeing that, um, you know, as Looker gets adopted in the enterprise, people are coming up with very, very complex uh, uh, LookML models. So one thing that we're investing heavily on there, uh, if you're familiar with it, we have a, a model validator. So as your model gets more and more complicated, and you want to make you want to make sure that changes to the model don't impact negatively any dashboards or reports that you've created on top of it. And the validator code there is something that we're focused on uh, on optimizing right now, so that for larger uh, enterprise companies, very very complex models, they don't have to wait a long time to validate uh, the work that they've done. Um, and that kind of hits the needs. Well, for what kind of a, what kind of an error would a validated model, a model val validator it, catch? Yeah, it might catch it if you defined something. Uh, if you have a, a reference uh, to a dimension or a measure in uh, a dashboard, and then you change the underlying model so that that dimension or, or uh, changes, well, you want to be warned about that. Um, so, you know, so Looker provides this governed uh, data layer, and and one advantage that you have of having that central layer is you can know all of the dashboards and reports that it, it, that any change will affect. Uh, unlike if you're using like an extract solution like Tableau or Excel workbooks, if you make a, a change in the, the definition of, uh, of data in one place, well, someone now has to manually go and, and, uh, and track down all those changes. Someone is going to be opening up, opening up quite a few um, Tableau workbooks to, to fix any changes. And, and Looker lets you do all that in one place, but that we also need to be able to increasingly do that in a performant fashion because we're seeing so much adoption in the enterprise. Um, I think uh, that speaks to the needs of, of existing uh, customers. I think one other thing that we have to do that's really valuable at that LookML, I'll, I'll call it uh, time to value. So you're, you're obviously very, very familiar with the, the power that investing in, in LookML gives you. Uh, but one challenge I see when I speak to potentially new customers is, is understanding that value quickly. You know, the, it's a quite a steep hurdle to have to learn a new language to get the value out. So one thing I'm thinking about um, is how do we accelerate the, the time for understanding the value that, that LookML gives you uh, from, you know, uh, you know, hours or days to, to minutes. And uh, that's something I'm also looking at. For me, uh, it really hit me on the head when uh, Lloyd, the, the CTO, he sat me down and in about three minutes he wrote uh, some LookML that replaced 
what my data engineering team at Reddit uh, took three weeks to do. And it was just kind of a, a lightning bolt of, of insight. And if we can kind of package that insight into a nice five minute <laughs> onboarding experience, I'd, I'd love to, to, to work on that. Um, you know, pushing up the stack a little bit in, into the um, exploratory experiences. Um, look at right now, I, I think I, I am of the opinion that we do uh, a, a great set of exploratory work for people who uh, are familiar with the model but I would like to, to make that even simpler so that people who maybe are coming into Looker through a dashboard or a shared link can also uh, have a, a really pleasant and beautiful to use uh, exploration experience. Um, I, I would hit that on two angles. One is performance. You know, I'm really pushing the team hard uh, to really triple down on, on how fast we load dashboards. And once they're loaded, uh, I think dashboards feel faster if you can slice and dice and, and cross filter in place rather than having to go to the explore view. So this is something that we're looking at. Um, and then the, the other thing there is just beauty. Um, you know, Looker, uh, we invested early on heavily in that, that LookML layer, and now we're adding uh, in the, uh, the BI layer. And I, I think for, uh, for us, it's very, very important that we come up to par with uh, quality visuals, uh, you know, the ability to, to make dashboards and reports that that just look pleasing and are, are, are fun to share around. So we're gonna also be uh, investing in the quality of our visuals, the quality of our, our layout, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one of the things I think that's most exciting about using LickML when you start doing it is that you're never trapped in the visual. You know, because some of these uh, uh, BI tools, you know, they do a great job of summarizing data and, you know, presenting it visually, but then you go, hmm, let me look at that. Yeah, and, you know, and then then with Looker, you can always get to the underlying table. You know, I mean, obviously you can restrict that if you want to, but but you can always allow somebody to go and drill down and see the data like a spreadsheet. You know, in a tabular form. And you know, mm -hmm. when 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 you get to the super data nerds, that's where they want to be. You know, when it when, in certain points in their analysis, they want to be you know scrolling through, looking at data, think you know, feeling it, touching it, you know, sifting it through their hands metaphorically. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, yeah, Dan, it's, it's been really interesting. So if you think about Looker, you know, we've built this platform with all of these components on top that did governance and visualization and, and, and cataloging and, and exploration and all the different components on top of these big, fast databases. And we really see us able to address sort of the full spectrum here. So if you think data has a past a present and a future. You know, BI has been about the past. It's been about looking in the rearview mirror, doing the analysis to see what happened last quarter and how we could do a little bit better, that kind of stuff. And then more recently, you know, a lot of people has been, have been focusing on the future, right? How do we start to bring in AI and predictive analytics into the tool chain? And Looker's done a lot of work there with companies like DataRobot and, and B, uh, BigQuery machine learning, you know, at Google and, and a bunch of others of how that fits into the tool chain. But more and more, what we see is finally the value being unlocked is how we use data in the present, right? So, so now that we've like solved these problems of access and reliability, what we're seeing is people actually build these lightweight applications that you're referring to as, as sort of the, the, the simple use case of how I actually do my job in data every day. And that's the trick to actually put data into the hands of people, into the hands of non-technical users so they can get value out of, out of data and at the same time service these, you know, the, the real deep data folks who want to break out and, and do deeper analysis. So, so really hitting that full tool, tool chain of, 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 you know, past, present, and future and giving people this, this present way that they can operationalize data, seeing the value unlocked. 
Well, this is a perfect segue into the next questions that I want to finish the uh, podcast with, and that is, what are the new frontiers, you know, that you're going to go after? I mean, uh, Nick has hinted at a few of them in terms of providing a more guided experience to allow people to be informed about what's potentially there for them to look at, um, to being able to provide more of the value meals, meaning the, you know, the, the uh, uh, specific uh, uh, consumable data that helps with a certain process step or de- decision. Uh, how, you know, wh- wh- how are you using AI and ML inside the product? Uh, you know, how are you supporting use of AI and ML outside the product? Um, you know, there's, cause there's all sorts of uh, interesting things that, you know, I think I saw a lecture by Peter Norvig where he talked about how it's really going to be interesting to figure out how to debug data because in these AI and ML systems, data is no longer just descriptive. It's, it's actually the source code that's going to determine the behavior of the system. And so as such, it's going to need to be debugged. If it has biases, if it has errors that, that affect the outcome, you're going to want to figure out what they are and how to remove them. And, and it seems like Looker could play a role there. But uh, so, you know, you know, and, the, and other things like voice interactions and, and, and all, all sorts of other applications, you know, what are the new frontiers? What, what's going on with your approach to all these new uh, developments that are happening? Yeah, I'd tee, up, I'd tee up two things and then let Nick go deeper on it. But, but you know, one, I think that, that the issue in AI and machine learning is always source data. And, and data scientists are, you know, routinely complaining they're spending, you know, 90 or 95% of their time coming up with repeatable sets of data that they can feed into their models and what that tool chain looks like. And that, at the very core, is what we address. So it's this idea of coming up with this, this, you know, information that can be fed into models and then taking the result of that predictive analytics and feeding it back into the application that the, the business user is consuming. So I think we're trying to solve that 95% of the heavy lifting that data scientists are, are having difficulty with and giving them tools to, to represent data into their models. And then I think there's a really big trend going on in, in data that people aren't talking about too much. And I think for a long time, we've talked about business intelligence and this this sort of horizontal generic use case of data, you know, dashboards and things like that. But the world has changed. And and I think there's a new class of application emerging in the enterprise, and it's the data application. It's a bit what you're describing as this specific use case. But if you look at the SaaS companies that have grown really quickly, probably more, more quickly than a lot of the BI applications, it's it's, you know, stuff like Mixpanel doing event and web analytics. It's, it's stuff like, you know, you know, GA360 in Google, you know, letting you look at ad information. It's, you know, stuff like, um, you know, New Relic and, and Splunk looking at, at, you know, IT and, and compliance kinds of data in, in big environments. And I think those are also data applications. And what I see is a blending in these worlds. I don't know that the horizontal use case of business intelligence is the long-term thing. You know, we'll have people use a horizontal, you know, generic tool, but more and more people will operate in these applications around data that feel more like how they're working. And Looker is the platform to build those applications. So we see, you know, our customers, you know, routinely building these lightweight applications that wrap data around a specific problem like customer success or, or digital marketing. And you'll see us focus a lot on providing those really simple use cases that people can get going on with very quickly to solve those specific things. Yeah, so in I, other I, words, you, you want to really support this advanced productization where you have a real, 
you know, not just a simple value meal, but a real whole environment like Google Analytics, you know, for a specific uh, environment, you know, for a specific, you know, uh, area of, uh, of, of business activity. Exactly. And then we want those users to be able to break out of that and going to another one, like provide one big world where it's easy, you know, similar to, to, you know, exploring data on the web where I can really quickly change my perspective. You know, that's absolutely what we're doing. So Nick, yeah, how, how would you answer the same question? Yeah, I would, I would tack on to that and say, you know, really, um, for, for BI and, and I guess, uh, you know, this industry as a whole, it's, it's not just data geeks anymore. I, I think that, you know, a you know in the past it, it would be, you know, data engineers and, you know, uh, analysts really geeking out over BI tools. But now uh, it's everybody. Everyone needs data to get their job done. And, um, you know, SaaS apps and point solutions are uh, becoming the way that I, I want to say everyday people use data to get their, their job done. Um, so for us, that means, you know, meeting people where they're at uh, and uh, trying to, to break out of the idea that you have to go into like a BI exploratory tool and just thinking about it uh, more along the lines of we no longer have to convince people to use data in their day to day. It is just happening regardless. That, that wave is, is crested and we have to uh, build the tools to meet people where they're at. Um, simple tools that get specific jobs done as well as simpler and easier to use interfaces uh, uh, to put on top of data. Uh, Frank talked a lot about uh, the application platform. And uh, I'll go back to something you said earlier, which was the idea of uh, you know, NL interfaces. One cool thing about LookML is like we're one of the few BI vendors that already has uh, a semantic uh, modeling layer. And that means that you know, applying things like NL would be very, very easy for us relative to, uh, to other uh, vendors. And, and um, then when you say NL, you mean natural language. Oh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> natural language. So I, I, the reason I shortcut that is I, I have, for the last five years, uh, I have run uh, uh, teams that only used NL uh, natural language interfaces for data. So for me, it's, it's been very comfortable. And we did that uh, without the power of, of something like a governed uh, data model. Uh, so th that's one more direction I think we could go in, in the realm of, of making this simpler and more accessible for, for every pe everyday people. Got it. Um, well, this has been a great uh, uh, podcast. Uh, you know, we've covered a lot of ground. Is there any other issues that we, we have missed that, that are worth mentioning? No, that's it, Dan. I really appreciate uh, you bringing so much knowledge to the, to the subject. Uh, it's a great conversation. Oh, there's one thing I, I realized I didn't ask Nick directly. And before we, we leave, I'd like to do that. How do you see AI and ML being used inside of uh, looker. Now, one thing you mentioned already was the whole idea of the guided experience, which is clearly a very natural way that you can use, you know, AI and ML to, you know, understand what people looked at, to understand what they, you know, what this person looked at, and then what the, did they look at next, and eventually that yeah. can be learned and and be, you know, used to make a suggestion. A lot of the uh, the, the tools for the very beginning, uh, you know, like things like clear story data and, 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 and uh, you know, Click had some of this. They, they had this idea that they would be able to suggest data to people that would be useful. But yeah. in practice, when I've talked to users of those systems, it really hasn't worked out that way. They, they, you know, they, 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 those suggestions haven't really, you know, turned out to be, you know, something that is used a lot. Uh, but, you know, what, what, what do you... Uh, see as you know happening inside the system with AI and ML to improve the product. 
I'm going to give you a pretty complex answer for this. So there's, there's kind of two ways to look at this. Um, one is just the idea that um, uh, LookML and Looker can be kind of a, a more standardized way to, um, to bring together uh, data from, from ML systems. Uh, that is to say, um, you know, give your data scientists, machine learning uh, developers one view of your business data uh, to build against, and that can kind of be used to build new models which feed back into Looker, et cetera. So there's like a very, very low level, you know, just use it to build cleaner models and cleaner data sets. But there's also a, a higher level version of this, is what, which is what I think you're, you're getting at. Um, if you were to, to read Gartner or, or any of the industry reports, I mean, they, they kind of talk breathlessly about using ML to automatically look at data, understand it, and, uh, and make suggestions, et cetera, et cetera. What those vendors fail to understand is that you have to have some semantic understanding, like the purpose behind the data before you can make uh, reasonable suggestions. Otherwise, the, the best you can do is just say things like, oh, this data is got seasonality. Oh, here are some interesting outliers. And, and there are many, many vendors that do that. But Looker, because we are increasingly pushing in the direction of uh, semantics and purpose-built applications, I believe there's a potential there that uh, we can also provide valuable inbox analytics. So if we know that the underlying data set is HR, if we know the underlying data set is um, you know, event-driven, that we can sit on top of that and provide you valuable suggestions to help your, your, uh, get your job done. Um, so that, that's uh, a direction I, I would like to head going forward. You know, at the lowest level, yeah, we need to surface um, ML from the underlying systems. But the further and further we get to purpose-built apps, I think the, the smarter we can get uh, about uh, making really valuable suggestions to our end users. So, and the way I would say that is, is that what you're going to do is, is implement the equivalent of sort of like semantic uh, standards like OWL, you know, to, to manage and declare uh, ontologies on top of the data models that you have so that you can then use those for reasoning, you know, and then uh, power them, of course, with usage-based data to make them even better. Yeah, Dan, I, w I would say, you know, one other thing, you know, that's not so much about what's in the future, but what we've already done. Um, so we're one large environment with, with the equivalent of, you know, a thousands of workbooks or thousands of, of spreadsheets in, in this one, you know, heterogeneous environment. And we understand how users are interacting with the data just as it sits inside of Looker. So, you know, today, you know, a company might implement a cataloging tool to, to look at lots of different things. In our world, there, you know, we don't necessarily have to do that to get the same benefit. It. So we understand how people are using that data. So a lot of what we've done over the last 18 months is build a lot of this content organization and content suggestion into our product, right? So if I'm in marketing, I understand what the other people in marketing are using and the most valuable metrics that they're looking at. I understand, you know, the, the, the dashboards that the exec team is looking at and what key metrics, you know, they're driving the business to. So I also follow those. So we see this ability now to suggest content, you know, this data content, and get people using the, the stuff that is most relevant and really solve that cataloging issue in addition. So I think that's what we've already done, and you'll see us start to do more, as Nick was saying, into the ML and, and into the, 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 the future stuff that we work on. But really today we're doing a lot of that in product. Excellent. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for spending so much time with me. and. Uh, uh, that's it for another Early Adopter Research Podcast.